Good morning. Good to see you. Glad that you're here. On the way into all of our services at the campuses, they hand you the notes. And if you want to get those out, uh, it'd be a great time to do that. If you use a device to follow along with the notes, that's fine. And if you learn best by just sitting back and listening and don't want to do any of the others, do that. Whichever way you are comfortable, that's what we want you to do. Welcome all of our campuses into our services, not just here uh, in, in person but all of our extensions, including online. I want to welcome everybody into the services. If you're a visitor this weekend, you've heard us say it a couple of different times, let me have one more second to say it. You're a gift to us. We're glad that you're here. We actually pray that you would come here. So we want to maximize your visit this morning before you leave. Uh, make sure and stop by the orange wall out in the foyer at any one of our campuses. That's where you'll get more information about our church. If you have any questions, we can answer for you. But more than anything else, we'd love a chance to meet you and get a chance just to say hi to you. So if you could do that for us, that'd be awesome. Uh, talking about the nativity, we're in the second week of our new series. And uh, here's, here's what we're trying to do. Trying to take little slices, not, not huge amounts of scripture, but little slices right around the birth of Jesus the angel, uh, when he came to announce God's intention with the birth of Christ, it began this way, Behold, I bring you good news, which is great joy to all people. Let me tell you what my stated goal is with this series for the next couple of weeks coming into Christmas. I want you to leave here feeling like you heard good news and you've got great joy in your heart. How many of you would like that to happen for you? That's what we want for you. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're trying to focus this around. And I would just make this statement one more time. This past week, as we look around our world, and in particular now uh, in California, uh, yes or no, the church has the good news. What a time for the church to hold up the fact that we have the light of the world, we have answers, and we have good news. The world needs good news right now. And folks, we've got to remember that's what this is about. And as we come into this time of year, we kind of focus it down on the good news. Last week, we looked at Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. And we talked about the idea of the gifts that God has given us. I made this statement last week and just wanted people to think. Let me say it one more time. If you heard it, be patient with me. If you didn't, uh, tune into this right here. Uh, have you ever thrown a birthday party uh, had a birthday party thrown for you where you invited a lot of people and the guests bring gifts, but they don't bring them for you. They bring them for each other. I mean, how weird would that be right there? <laughs> Tell me that's not in perspective what happens at Christmas. We say it's about Jesus, but we get together and give gifts to each other. And many times he's the one that's left out. So here's what I want you to think about right now. If you were going to give a gift to God this year, what would you give him? Would you give him your time? Would you give him your love? Would you give him your life? What would you give God if you could give him a gift? I know it's a little twist on the idea of Christmas and giving. Last week we talked about what God gave us. This week I want to talk about our gifts to God. I'm going to look at Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. So this is Matthew chapter 2. Uh, it's 1 through 12, and I know it's a little chunk of Scripture right here, but I didn't just want to put down one or two Scriptures. I wanted us to look sort of at the context here. Uh, actually, while I'm reading this, I'll make a few, context, uh, a few comments because I felt like when I was studying it, I saw some interesting things uh, that had dawned on me for the first time. And if I've done this for 30 years um, as a profession and see new things in it when I read it, I bet I can show you maybe a few new things. Would that be okay? So just have a little fun. Uh, let's go. Uh, Matthew chapter 2. Verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. Just very quickly, uh, it makes the statement, this is after uh, he is born. Hollywood 
has done a good job at portraying some of the things about the birth of Christ, some of the movies that we see, some of the ideas that we've been given uh, about the birth of Christ. Here is an idea that probably 99.9% of people have, that when the wise men, the magi, came to visit Jesus, they actually get there on the night that he's born or the next night, so they see Jesus as a baby in the manger. Yes or no, that's how you've always pictured it. The truth of the matter is, what this is saying to us, and I'll show you here why, Jesus is already a toddler at this point. He's probably a year and a half to two years old when this happens. So can you imagine, as they come and give gifts to Jesus, he's a toddler. What would a toddler do with those gifts? I can tell you what my grandchildren would do with them. They would grab them, and it would go just like this, right to the mouth. In fact, if I could give Ezra, our newest grandchild, a gift, do you know what gift he would want more than anything else? These glasses right here. If he could have these, he'd be very happy. Or if he could have his Nana's necklace. One of those two things would make him very happy. So this is after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. By the way, why then do we picture him in the manger with the wise men? Because we have a condensed story. The shepherds came to find him as a baby. But then there's a lapse of time between that and when the wise men show up. And here's why. The wise men actually started their journey more than a year prior to the birth of Christ. The Bible says that they came from the east. They didn't come from Israel. They're not close by. To make a journey somewhere from, somewhere from the east. Persia, maybe a little bit farther. We're, we're not exactly sure where. I'll, I'll give you what I think it is based on some wording. But it took them at least six months and probably a year to get there. And so they get there, and the star, interestingly enough, is still shining. They saw it when it began to appear, and it, 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 here, here, here's a thought. The star, the Bible says, held still, and it would move as they moved so that when they got to where they needed to be, it would stop. Could it even be a star if it can start and stop? So I've got a few ideas here. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me, let me read past the first four words in the thing. All right. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, this is important, so King Herod is king. King Herod is a wicked king. The way he got into power is through bribery, through uh, marrying the right people, and he holds on to power with murder, including murdering people in his own family to solidify his power. This is not a good guy. Now, I tell you that part because the next part of this sentence becomes really interesting. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi or wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked the king, look at the sentence, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Yes or no, that is not a good thing to say to a guy who was holding on to power ruthlessly. You get it? King Herod does not receive this news with joy. Oh, there's a new king. He's like, what do you mean, a king? He's upset about this news. It terrifies him. It actually threatens his power. They said, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this. Now, here's what's funny. The star is there for all to see. Herod and his people don't recognize what it means. It took foreigners from outside of Israel to come into Israel to tell them, this is the recognition of something great happening amongst you. Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him, all of his cronies, his power base. When he had called all the people together, chief priests, teachers of the law, he asked them, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem and in Judea. So they searched the scriptures, they talked to the priests, they get the information in Bethlehem, 
in Judea, they replied. And then here's the prophecy that was given hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. For this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi, the wise men, secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. Right. (laughs) After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, this is familiar, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So if it took them approximately a year to get there, and now they're going the long way back, this journey was probably a two to two and a half year journey round trip. So in, in the way that Hollywood presents it, you have three guys traveling by camel who basically make a one day trip to come see Jesus. So let me, let me just dispel this, just, just so that you get a better picture of this. Uh, these guys were not your average ordinary citizens. They couldn't have afforded to make this trip. These are wealthy, well-to-do people. Some, some people speculate that they were probably kings from the East. Kings who studied the literature and the language of the day, which was their ability to forecast with the stars coming events. They recognized that certain things represented a king. Now, as I read and studied, some people think that Jupiter fell into a particular place with Mars and it was extra bright and that's what was shining on Jesus and that's what led them. Here's the problem. Uh, planets can't stop. Let me try over here. with. They're, they're like, I, what do you, a planet can't just stop in mid-orbit. It doesn't work that way. Stars don't stop in mid-orbit. So, so uh, there's speculation about what is this thing I, I don't know for sure, but can I give you what I think it was? Like, you know, 100 years from now, maybe somebody will read this, and it'll just be another commentary on what it was. But let, let me just throw out what I think it was. Uh, what if this happened to be an angel? The Bible says one of the qualities of archangels is that their bodies bear light. Do you know the word Lucifer, who was an archangel at one time? His body could bear light. He was a light bearer. What if one of the angels, God just stationed him in the sky and just said, you move as they move and guide this group of people in? How about this? What if it was the Shekinah? Maybe you don't know this word, but in the Old Testament, when the presence of God would show up, it was so bright. When Jesus transfigured in front of uh, the disciples, do you remember what happened? The Bible says he turned brighter than the sun and they couldn't even look at him. It was so bright. Can you imagine? What if God's presence just simply manifested over the top of where Jesus was so that it could move around. Why not? If you like the planet theory better, go for it. I like my theory better. and I'm teaching, so I'm sticking with my theory. Jesus' age, real quick. I just mentioned he's a toddler at this point. Why do we think he's a toddler? Uh, There's two reasons. We know when Jesus died, and we know when Herod died. And so if you, attract, if you subtract those two uh, dates from each other, 
Jesus has to be between one and a half and two right here. But the other thing is, uh, Herod asks the wise men, do you remember, how long has this star been? When did it rise? How long exactly? And so after this, after this happens, when the wise men go back to their country, uh, Herod, do you remember Herod's move next, what he does in Bethlehem? What does he do? He kills all of the children from the ages of two and under. He had calculated the star rose approximately two years ago. The baby was born then, so he has to be approximately between zero and two. Most people think Jesus is one and a half to two at this time. Now, is that important for the message? No, it's just some stuff that I studied out. I thought it was interesting. Probably stuff you've never contemplated. Let me move you into stuff maybe that's a little better. So when I was putting this together this week, uh, really over the last two weeks, and writing this information down and studying it and looking at what, what I felt like the Holy Spirit might say, uh, let me give you three thoughts about the Magi that never occurred to me before. Three thoughts that I saw for the very first time. Three things that just simply stood out to me. They leapt out to me. They were hopeful to me. Remember, my goal in this series, two things. I want you to get good news, and I want you to be full with great joy. Now, I wrote this. The first part of this I wrote two weeks ago before the events in California this week. Now, that's significant because I did not take my message, read the newspaper, and then put my message together. I wrote my message prior to the events. So I think that God might want to try to say something to us that, that could be very good news. Maybe, maybe, if nothing else, it could be comforting in this time and in this day. Uh, so three thoughts about the Magi, about the wise men. Number one, at the very minimum, these wise men were Arab. These are not Jews. They come from the east. So at the minimum, they're Arab, but they could be Persian. And the reason I think they might be Persian is the word Magi is a Persian word. And they're not called priests they're not called scribes. They're not called elders. These are not from Israel. They're from the east. So interestingly enough, let me put it in context with you. God used the forebearers of Islam to come to Israel to point out to the Jews that the king of kings has been born. Now, think about that for just a moment. So what does that mean ultimately? Here's what it means. God can reach anyone at any time, with any background, for his purpose. We are not living in a lost world. We're living in a day where God could reap incredibly in our midst. Now, I got one for you. I told a little bit of this to the very last service last week. I forgot to tell it to everybody else, so I want to retell my story. This is true. This just happened, and it happened here. There is a Middle Eastern young man who is here on a student visa in his 20s. Uh, grew up a Muslim. Comes to Colorado, uh, his, his, his part of his family is here, and uh, while here, he basically has a dream in which God speaks to him and tells him to seek out the God of the Christians. So what do you do? He got the internet out, and he began to go through churches in our area, and the first one he came to that was closest to him was Jubilee. He doesn't have a car, so he walks over here. It's a very well-to-do family, by the way. He walks over here, he walks into the building midweek, um, and uh, uh, a custodian was here. So he tells the custodian, how can I find out about Jesus? And the custodian says, you need to go over to the offices and talk to the pastors. <laughs> I think that's pretty cute. <laughs> you imagine. He's just not quite sure what to say. What's, what's, why? Why? guy says, I, I just want to find out about Jesus. So the guy takes a taxi all the way to where our offices are located, which is at the Highlands Ranch campus. 
The guy gets out of his taxi and he comes in. He goes to the front desk and he just tells, hey, I, I, I want to talk to somebody about Jesus. So the admin's like, I guess any, anybody will do then. So they grab the on-call pastor and bring out, the on-call pastor meets him and the guy just begins to tell him a story and he just says, I want to know about Jesus. So the on-call pastor says to him, why do you want to know about Jesus? What's, what's, what's drawing you? He said, because the God of Islam is angry and harsh. But the God of Christians seems very loving and caring and I want to know that God. So that pastor talks to him about Jesus and that guy goes, I want to know Jesus and they pray on the spot. So we have a couple of great days where we're trying to work with him and disciple him a little bit. And eventually he's got to go back to his country. And here's what he said, I can be hanged in my country for the decision I just made. So we said, we have a baptism coming up. It was two weeks ago here at all of our campuses, but here in particular. And here's what he says, I, I don't want to wait to get baptized. Why can't I get baptized right now? Okay. Yeah. Well, we, we have protocol. <laughs> True story, true story. He says, I, I want to get baptized now. They take him to the Lone Tree Rec Center in the middle of the day. And he has his family come with him. And then they use Skype for the rest of the family to witness it. And he gets baptized at the Lone Tree Rec Center. God has radically altered this young Muslim's life, young Christian's life. And he's faced now with the prospect, I have to go back to my country. He said, do I stay or do I go? I said, what if God has done this so that you can go? What you could do that we could not do in that situation is, is unbelievable. Just a thought. I'm not telling you. Pray and hear what God is telling you to do. So why share this with us? Look me in the eye. I've never lived in a day and age in my life where I see the Holy Spirit moving more sovereignly to reach people. Yep. There are evil people in the world, evil people in the world, but God is doing more today. Here's what you don't see at 5.30 on the national news. Here's what the Denver Post didn't write as the headline this morning, and here's what no one on CNN is talking about. God is doing more today in this world than ever before. The church in Iran, the church in China, the church even in North Korea is growing leaps and bounds. Leaps and bounds. And we sit back and we watch it. We think to ourselves, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. The Bible predicted in end times there would be more evil. But it also said that when a flood of evil comes in, God will raise up a standard of righteousness like never before. We have the good news. Look me in the eye. The hope of the world is not better security. The hope of the world is not more guns. Now, there are evil people, and they need to be dealt with accordingly. I'm saying this so you hear me. The hope of the world, though, is the message of Jesus Christ, which changes a person's heart. That's where our security is going to be found. And if you don't understand that, Christian, listen to me. If you don't understand that, you're not holding on to the true gospel. You've got a mixture of CNN, Fox, and a Donald Trump gospel. We've got to change that a little bit. We've got to have what God says. So three thoughts about the Magi, about the wise men. They were Arab. Quite possibly they could have been Persian. But these were the forebears of Islam that God used to come 
and seek out the Christ. Two, God used Gentiles to open the eyes of the Jews to Jesus. The Jews who should have known, been waiting, who, ha who had the scriptures given to them that this was going to happen, this happened and they had no idea that it happened. And God used Gentiles to open the eyes of the Jews to Jesus, and I would submit to you that is still the job of the church today, is to open the eyes of the world to Jesus. And the more precious it becomes to us, the more, the more natural, the more, the more awesome God is to us, the more easy it is to bear that light, yes or no? And when you think about, well, what would I say and what would I do? Here's what you do. Fall passionately in love with Jesus, catch on fire, and let him watch you burn. Did you hear what I said? Catch on fire and let them watch you burn, baby. That's how you do it. What would I say? How would we catch on fire with Jesus and just burn? How about this? This one is not quite as theological, but let me just answer a question. The exact number of the wise men, the magi, is not, own, uh, not known, but we only depict how many? Any of you that have a manger set at home right now, you set it up, how many wise men do you have? So we actually have five because my wife bought two extra twin pieces. <laughs> but they actually, they only depict three. And the truth of the matter is, let me, let me just give this to you. These were very wealthy men. In order to travel the great distance that they traveled, they did not travel with three camels and three men. A caravan had to accompany them. This was a dangerous place to cross. It was full of thieves and robbers. Uh, it, was, it was a very rough place. They traveled with armed guards. They traveled probably with their families. It was a caravan of at least 40 to 50, if not 100 people that made this journey. And yet we only depict three of them. Anybody tell me why we only depict three? It's a real simple answer. Why? Three gifts. That's exactly right. Here's what the Bible doesn't tell us, though. How many of those three kinds were given? Could have been that the amount of gold Jesus was given could have been in pounds, not in ounces. The amount of... The spices, the frankincense and the myrrh, could have, could have literally been in gallons and not in small vials. We're not sure, but let me just transition the message real quickly. I want to talk about the gifts given to Jesus. Um, let me just say this. Follow this real quick. The gifts that were given to Christ, they're prophetic because they represent something prophetic about Jesus. And I'll, I'll just teach you something really cool here about the three gifts. They're prophetic, but they're also practical. Uh, prophetic because it's a representation of something that God was saying. From the very birth, the Bible symmetry, if you ever get into it and really read it and really look at it, the symmetry of the Bible is amazing. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus announced himself as the bread of life. If you need to eat something that lasts forever, it's me. The symmetry, if you ever just study it out and look at every word and every nuance, God, God is perfectly, he is so brilliant, so smart. His ability to, to place it all together. None of it's accidental. None of it just sort Can you see I get excited about it? I just, ugh. I love to teach it. And I feel like this is where I get tongue-tied and I can't, it's, it almost becomes, I feel it's superfluous for me. To, I just want to go, ah! And I feel like that's all I'm doing in front of you. Ah! If nothing else, no, I'm really passionate about what I'm saying. The gifts are practical, but they're prophetic. The first gift that's mentioned in the Bible is the gift of gold. Uh, gold was the gift given to all kings. It's the most expensive, therefore the most worthy gift that you could give. This is not a gift that you just give to anybody. Uh, if you want to know whether or not gold is a worthy gift, ask your wife. She'll tell you real quick. 
worthy gift, yes or no? I mean, it's still today, uh, gold is so hard to get. It, it's, it's such a, uh, a precious commodity that the value of gold, um, it, it's, it's just unbelievable. So gold was a gift that was always given to kings. So when I tell you that the gifts given to Jesus uh, were both practical and prophetic, here's the prophetic nature of the gift given to Jesus. From his birth, these other kings come and they bow down. The Bible says that they bow down giving him the gift. What they're saying is we are kings, but you're the king of kings. So they give to Jesus the prophetic gift of gold. They see him already. God's announcing to the world, this is the king of kings. It's powerful, man. But on the practical side, for a poor family that were carpenters, that, that find that they give birth to a son in a stable that, that are not wealthy. How practical is the gift of gold to that family? This might have changed the future of Mary and Joseph when it came to raising Jesus. The Bible doesn't give us the luxury of knowing what they did with it exactly, but can you imagine selling it and having more money than you've ever had now to take care of your family? So it's a prophetic gift. It's a practical gift. Here, let me just throw this out to you. What would it mean to us today? Many people think that when it comes to serving God, I hear people say this all the time, the church, all they do is talk about money. All God wants is money. That, God doesn't need your money. He's not looking for your wealth. He doesn't want your status. Do you know what he really wants? He wants the very best gift you can give him, which is you. And then here becomes the truth. If he gets you, he gets everything Anyway, so many people struggle with the idea of giving to God. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I have it. Oh, he wants too much. I can't give my children. Ah, well, it's the wrong way to look at it. Give yourself fully to him, and you won't be able to give enough to him. Fall in love with Jesus. Make him the passion of your life, and I promise you, listen to me, you won't be able to do enough for him because you'll realize what he did for you and your whole life will be lived with the idea, God, I want to just give my very best to you all the time. Look, I love to preach to you. Can you tell? This, this is like, I don't have many gifts, but this is one that God gave. I, man, I wake up, I love my job. I love what I'm doing. I don't have any aspirations to go do anything else. In fact, here's my fear, that they would tap me on the shoulder and say, time for you to leave. I pray, God, please don't let them take this away from me. <laughs> I love this, and I give, when I get up here, I give my very best to you, but I don't do it so you pat me on the back and go, Pastor, I have such a nice message. I do this, I'm trying to show my father how much I love him, and you get to watch me burn while I do that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. How when you fall in love with him, giving him your best, that. These guys came to give him the best. That's the gift that we can give to God. My best, it's not just my life, it's, it's my marriage. It's my children. These are the best things that I have. This is the most precious commodity that I have. And my family belongs to God. Everything that we do is to reflect that. I'm going to run out of time. Let me give you the second one real quick. So the Bible says that gold was brought to Jesus. Uh, the next one, we've all heard of frankincense. When I was a kid, I remember hearing that for the first time and thinking, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Why would anybody want Frankenstein? It's a terrible gift. <laughs> me, uh, see if I can connect the thought to you. Would you agree with me 
one of the things that controls memory is smell. Music can control memory too. They're like a portal that when you, you can hear a song at a particular place in your life and go a 20, 30, 40 years not hearing that song, but when you hear it again, it'll bring you right back to where you were when you heard that song. You know what I'm talking about? It's like a portal. Smell is the same thing. Smell is like a portal. When you smell things, it can bring you right back in your memory. The brain, it's, it's an amazing vehicle. Uh, smell is one of those things that just, it can suddenly jar you. Uh, Christmas morning. My mother, once a year during Christmas, would make cinnamon sticky buns. Yeah, listen to the ones who know. The ones who don't say anything, you're like, may as well be frankincense. I have no idea. But so the last time I lived there, I was 17 years old. I, I turned 52 in a couple of weeks. It's been a long time since I smelled that smell. But even when I think about it in my head, I can remember what it smells like, and I can remember where I was standing and what we were doing that Christmas morning the last time I smelled that smell. It's very powerful. Frankincense has this ability to, to, to be a portal. The high priest was given, frankincense was super, super rare and expensive. It was used as a commodity. In cases, it could be more valuable uh, per ounce than what gold was. It was very hard to get. It was controlled by a certain group of people that they used it as a commodity to trade with. So here's who used frankincense in the nation of Israel, the high priest was given frankincense to burn in the temple. It's the most amazing smell. The very first time I went to Israel, a shopkeeper asked me, have you ever smelled frankincense? I said, no, I, would you like to smell it? And the guy gives me the quick 20-minute, here's all the different levels of frankincense. Ultimately, he's trying to sell me frankincense. But he says, I want you to smell the very best frankincense we have. And I smell, it's, it's, it's the most delightful smell. I mean, it's unbelievable. It, and he opens the lid, and it just fills the room. And they would burn this before the Lord as an incense to God. Frankincense was only given to the priest. It's a prophetic gift which recognizes right off the bat that Jesus is our high priest. He was our king, but he was also our high priest. The Bible says that he acted on our behalf and presented his blood to the Father on the day of atonement once and for all so that you and I have peace with God. Let me just try to connect a quick thought to you. Like few things in life, smell controls memory. When you fall in love with Jesus, when he becomes your all in all, the Bible says that we then begin to carry the aroma of God. Listen to this. And to some people, we are the fragrance of life but to other people were the fragrance of death. What's the difference? For those who know the smell of life, we represent the future and eternity to them, but to those who recognize judgment will come my way, we represent death to them. But we're to bear the fragrance or the incense of Christ in our life so that people know who we are, what we stand for, what we believe, and that we offer to them the ability, if you want to worship God, we'll show you how to do that. Do you hear what I'm saying right now? Good news of great joy. Man, fall so in love with Jesus that your life bears the incense of Christ. I'm sorry, I, I, I've taken too much time on my message here. I know you say that. Ah, come on. People in the back are like, shut up. Let him get us out of here. 
<laughs> so he, he was our king, the gold. He's our high priest, the frankincense, the myrrh. He was given myrrh. Uh, myrrh, again, is used to make anointing oil, but its main property, uh, it has the properties of a deodorant. So that when a body, um, a, a dead body, the way that they would prepare it for burial, you remember when Jesus, the, the, the women went early in the morning to anoint his body for burial. And when they get to the tomb, the tomb's rolled away and the angel's there. Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? They just dropped all their spices. The spices they dropped was myrrh. Myrrh had the unique ability that its odor, it's, it had a deodorant property to it, and its odor was stronger than the stench of death. And I've smelt myrrh, and I can remember exactly what myrrh smells like, and I've smelt death, and I can remember exactly what death smells like. They're two contrasting smells. One is rot, one is beautiful. Prophetically, what it represented to Jesus was this. He was our king, he was our priest, but he was also our sacrifice. He was born to die for me and for you, for you, for you. The Bible says it this way, he became a curse for us and took upon his body all of our sin so that you and I could enjoy the blessing that belonged to Jesus. So let me just twist this real quick for you. What if I could connect this thought in your mind in a different way? What if the best gift some of you could give God this season, what if you gave him the gift of your failure, the gift of your death, the gift of your sin, the gift of your stench. Jesus was born. If you really want to honor him, follow me on this. When I use the word gift, get what I'm saying. Jesus was born to die for us. God raised him from the dead alive because he was sinless. But listen, if you want to honor Jesus and know him, then honor him for why he came in the first place. He came to take your sin. He came to take your failure. He came to take the stench and to apply to you the smell of life, not death. Amen. The angel of death passes over us because we apply the work of Jesus in our life. Do you get it? Yes. Maybe the best gift you could give to God would be the stench of death that you hold on to. I failed. I've hurt. I've transgressed. Some of you wear that as the fragrance of your life, and here's what Jesus would tell you. Give it to me because I want to nail it to a cross. And I want you to carry my life on you. It's pretty good news. Now, here's the deal. How about your death for his life? your sin for his righteousness, your loss for his gain. If it was just an even trade, would you do the deal? I would. Have. Do every day. Maybe the greatest gift you could give God this year is to say, God, I'm not going to live my life anymore with the aroma of failure and stench and decay and all the stuff that I did wrong and all the reasons why I can't go forward. God, I'm gonna give that to you. Take it as a gift. 
nail it to the cross and give me your life so I can go forward from this point on. Maybe the best gift you could give God this year is to be the you he called you to be. How about that? It's good news. Mm. Father, we just want to take a couple of minutes right now and really become focused on the importance of the moment. God, my intention in this message is to lift Jesus up and to lift him up high. It's not to lift up a philosophy, a religion, a theology. It's not to lift up a church, a person, a man. It's to lift up the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God's star was ever only placed over one person, and that's your son. It's Jesus. And Lord, if we really get the message of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, he is our king, he is our priest, and he's also our sacrifice. God, we find ourselves totally overwhelmed by the great love that you have for us, by the things that you've done for us. The truth of the matter is most of us can't really comprehend how much you love us, God. We say the words, but we don't really know. But the place of beginning with you is to always just accept your love and to say, God, show me, teach me, draw me, change me, fill me, help me. Lord, fill your people with good news. Fill your people with great joy. Bring back to us, God, the meaning of why you sent Jesus and how you feel about us. Open our eyes to the reality that you've made the way possible for us to have peace with you, to walk with you, and to enjoy the life, the abundant life that you want to give us. God, we receive your life and we receive your love. We receive your mercy today. God, we give to you the stuff in our life that stinks. Nail it to the cross. And may the aroma that we bear leaving this place be the aroma of Christ. May it be the most attractive thing, but may it not be just some little thing. May it fill the room wherever we are, our passion for our God, our, our love for Jesus. Lord, I just thank you for this now, and I pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, church.